Chapter 14 Lady Canlow's Estate One week had passed since the events with the lion's followers in the dining hall, and since the dream. Not everyone had experienced it, but many did. It was a little different for this person, a little different for that one, but the main points of the dreams were overwhelmingly similar to Vaslo's own. The dream began with the Southern Cross constellation looming large overhead, larger than any other constellation by far. Its four stars shone so bright it was as though the moon were out. While gazing at it, a new star suddenly appeared in the center of the cross-like constellation. It was red and bright, so that everything took on an eerie hue of blood. Then there was a large roar, and it brought the dreamer's attention back down to the solid ground where he or she was standing on a long road. Vaslo thought he recognized it to be the capital road that led straight to Belmaris, the heart of the Concordant. In his own dream, Vaslo then noticed that the road was strewn with torn-out pages, so that he could not take a step without trampling them. Like most people, the master duelist was not skilled in the art of letters, but he could read just enough to realize that they were pages from the sacred Book of Proofs. Just a short distance down the road there stood a massive lion, taller than a man and twice as long, with paws the size of strong shields. It had a red mark on its forehead that stood out vividly against the white fur that covered the rest of its body. As the massive beast silently walked down the road, it left a bloody paw print on every page it touched. Its eyes were set on something in the far distance, so that it did not even appear to notice the master duelist as it walked by. Even a week later he could clearly remember the sound of its breathing as it passed. Then it was over, and he woke up. The impact this event had on Ashgarden could only be related to a sudden and unexpected earthquake. As though by some cruel design, not everyone had the dream, most notably Lord Ain Thoto himself. This began a feud between those who had it and those who didn't, each one calling the other liars. Those who did not have the dream were under the impression that the more weak-willed people had succumbed to the drama of Trinist's presentation. Those who did have it believed that everyone had it, and some people, for shame, were simply pretending that they did not. This created problems enough for an already tense life at the Lambaron's estate. But the larger issue by far was that the dream was not restricted to them. Many of the citizens of Ashgarden also appeared to have dreamt the same thing on that night even though they could not possibly have known about Trinus to what he said. In response to this unexplainable phenomenon, the sigil of the lion began popping up everywhere. Someone had hung a makeshift banner on the estate's fence with the symbol painted on it, those curved white lines like a mane, and the red mark towards the top of it. It was appearing as graffiti on the sides of buildings. The numbers of violent protests escalated almost immediately, and whether they were all loyal to Carthine or if some units were acting independently, it created the impression that the entire city was now in open revolt. Compounding all these difficulties, a small band of confessors had arrived from Belmaris just a day earlier. No matter who you were, how high your station, or how firm you were in the light of the proofs, every person in the Concordant maintained a healthy fear of the Justicant. It was a sovereign judicial body within the Concordant with so much power that, a hundred years earlier, it had even tried and executed a Belray's prince for heresy. It was ruled over by Justicar, the only member of the two hands to not be chosen by the king, but rather 
by a democratic vote from within the Justicant itself. Beneath the Justicant was the Arch-Confessor, who served as a sort of arms-marshal for a private army of confessors. Their flag was a red trident, where the three prongs were meant to represent the Justicar, the Arch-Confessor, and the confessors themselves. It was a symbol that could make anyone instantly feel uncomfortable. Powerful as they were, they arrived woefully ill-equipped to deal with the citizens themselves, many of whom were now armed and had little patience for the questions of the black-robed men. Instead, they focused their attention on the land baron's retinue, on the members of the guard, and the households of noble families remaining within the city. These were people, they knew, that would listen to them and do as they were asked. Everyone at Lord Thodo's estate fell under the careful scrutiny of the confessors once it was discovered that Trinist and his guards had all, somehow, escaped from the Lambaron's prison cells. When word circulated, there was no small amount of finger-pointing, gossip, and bold accusations. The implication, obviously, was that there were sympathizers of the line within the Lambaron's household, or in the very least, within the guard. How else could they have all escaped without notice? The confessors latched on to this idea and had taken time to question every person in the mansion, Vazdo and Cory included. It had worked to both their favour that one of the senior confessors was a loud fan of the master duelist, and so he ordered that the two not be bothered any further. Lord Ain Thoto's response to all this noise and inconvenience had been, so far as possible, to act like everything was perfectly normal. To that end, the evening's activities would include a lavish party at Lady Canlow's estate. Her property bordered the land barons, and it was through the back entrance to her garden that Corian Vaslo had originally entered under the guidance of Captain Bezrin and his company. This proximity made it safe for Lord Thoto to travel there and back without a large contingent of guards. Vaslo and the captain were in the yard on patrol as the sun was setting over Ash Garden. With a gesture, he had asked Vaslo to join him privately breaking away from the other four guards. They walked quietly for a little bit. It was obvious that Nassau Bezrin had a lot on his mind, and was searching for a way to put it into words. The Master Duelist took it on himself to break the silence. I've always thought it odd that the worse things get, the more parties the rich throw. He laughed a little at that. It's control, I'd wager. The rich are used to controlling everything and everyone. When nothing is under control, I think these lavish get-togethers help them feel like things are still normal. Things aren't normal, though. I don't know what the outcome of all this will be, but it won't be just a hop and skip back to how things were before. He pointed to an orange glow just barely visible over one low edge of the mansion, coming from the city beyond. That's an outpost for the city guard, and the temporary office that was being used for collecting the increased tax issued by the Crown. It's on fire. No one is even assigned to putting it out. It's just on fire, and it will burn to the ground, and probably take a few nearby buildings with it. There couldn't be a better symbol of the situation in Ashgarden than that burning outpost casting a glow over this evening's party. Lord Ain Thoto will have to change his sigil from the bear to the burning outpost, Vazda grinned. To be fair, I've never seen a bear in Ashgarden. The captain chuckled. Then it was quiet again for a minute before. Somberly, he said. You should leave this place, Voslo. 
This isn't your fight. That flaming building isn't your outpost. The people fighting in the streets aren't your kin or your friends. Aye, Vazlo nodded. Cory and I don't intend to stay much longer. I'll protect Armia, the captain said, and just like that, cut to the heart of the matter. You're not being honest with yourself, Captain, Vazlo countered. You're a very busy man, and her biggest threat is your commanding officer. No, it would be impossible to keep us safe so long as she is here. Nassau looked down to his feet and shrugged. What then? Vazlo lowered his voice a little bit, even though he knew there was no one nearby. Cory has made plans, and bribed a few people. She will leave, secretly, with us. It will be a few hours before anyone notices she is gone, and there should be no suspicion of us. Even if there is, it's not as though Lord Thodo can spare any men to ride us down. And where will you take her? he asked. Her home, the duelist assured him, and as directly as possible. The captain looked, alternately, worried and relieved. Vaslo knew that he cared deeply for the young girl and would miss her when she was gone. It was evident, though, that this was the best choice of action. Does she know? We thought it best not to tell her, Vaslo said. If she was acting suspiciously in any manner, she might get more eyes on her. When? Very soon. Within the week. Captain Bezrin sighed again, but this time with more relief. You did not have to do that. You are new here, and just passing through. The burden should not have been yours. But I am grateful. I try not to get involved in the affairs of others, but you know, I've got a damn weak spot for beautiful spirits. She's a beautiful little spirit, Armia. Vazla looked down at his boots, stuck for a moment in a memory. I try not to get to know anyone well enough to know that, but I failed on that front once or twice. A beautiful spirit. Yes, I suppose I understand that, the captain said. And what will you do, Sir Nessor Bezrin, captain of the guard? Are you really going to fight Carthine if it comes down to it? Carthine. He said the name with a mix of emotions. I figured you had found out about that. She told me she met you. You've been taking a great risk by meeting her and giving her information, Vaza pointed out. I just wanted her to be safe. But I think, now, it's clear that was a fool's errand. His voice was back to its usual tiredness. Regardless of what happens, I can be a force for good right where I am. As long as I'm a captain, I can have a say in what happens next, in how people are treated, what's done to prisoners, all of it. Even if this all gets torn down tomorrow, I can help rebuild. I can be an intermediary between the citizens and the guards who are just doing what they are commanded to do. Belmaris won't suffer an outright coup. Eventually they will send a response, and when they do, I can be there to make sure everyone is treated fairly and their voices are heard. Even with Saladin standing over you? Vazlo raised an eyebrow. The captain's lips flattened into a line. I doubt that Sir Alden will survive this. He gave the order that dangled corpses in the street. The people are out for blood. His even more than the land barons.
Speaking of blood and streets and riots, did you ever find out anything about how that young man escaped with all his escorts? Vaslo asked. Trinist. No, he said sourly. No, I didn't. I trust my men. They're all strong in the proofs and have no love of heretics. But then there was the dream. That damnable dream. Maybe it swayed someone. I don't know. Who the hell can know anything when that sort of thing is happening? Now the confessors stare at us like we're heretics ourselves. Like it's somehow our fault that any of this happened. You had the dream, then? Vaslo asked. Yes, the captain answered. The Bloodstar Cross and a large white lion. Same as most everyone else. Corey's guess was right, it seems. That symbol people were drawing with white chalk turned out to be a lion, Vaslo said. I am, well, I feel sort of silly for even asking. But that woman, the one who spoke up about her daughter, how, uh, well, how is her daughter? That question seemed to worry the captain even more than the first one. I don't know. The confessors have surrounded Lady Liera's estate like vultures, not letting anyone in or out. I fear for her and her husband even more than I do for the daughter. She openly swore heresy. Captain Bezrin looked south, where he could see the first part of the Southern Cross in the darkening sky. He looked like he was about to say something, when a familiar voice interrupted them from across the way. Captain! Master Stepman! A young guard came running up to them from one side of the yard, dodging bushes and flower beds on his way. Piker, you're supposed to be stationed inside. What's wrong? Bezrin asked, once the man had stopped to catch his breath. You asked me to let you know if the young lady Valmartini was in any trouble. Sir Alden is being difficult with her, and he's being cheered on by a drunken host while she tries to swat him away. I'm afraid for her safety, sir. Vazdo took off with a speed that shocked the two younger men. He had assumed, as any honourable person would, that she would be fine at such a peopled gathering. Angry at himself of that lapse in judgement, he made his way to the rear entry of the mansion. The guards, seeing him coming, opened the door and let him through without any need to slow down. Vazdo had never been in Lady Canlo's home, but he could hear the laughter and the jeering, and could smell the food, and those things led him to the main feast hall in short order. Armia was darting under a table to get away from a drunk and rambunctious Max and Alden. Her clothes were dishevelled, her hair was a mess, and clearly something had been spilled on her at some point. Get back here, you little weasel, you! Alden shouted as he reached under the table. But she got up on the other side. He tried to scramble over the table to get to her, knocking plates of food over and all to uproarious laughter. The honoured guests were on a raised platform on one side of the room, looking out over the rest. Lord Ain Thoto was there, red in the face from laughter and wine. Next to him was the Lady Canlow, looking white as chalk herself, and staring in shock at what Armia was enduring, while obviously powerless to do anything about it. A few others were there too, people Vosdo recognised from previous gatherings who must have been from significant families. The rest of the room was long tables with dozens of guests and even more plates. A few worried-looking servants were running back and forth as fast as they could, keeping wine cups full and cleaning the messes as they were made. Come give your betrothed a kiss, Alden laughed loudly, 
just barely missing Amir as she got over another table, food and wine staining her yellow dress. Mwah, mwah, he teased, puckering his lips out. Those lips kissed the back of Vosla's left hand, and together with their owner, fell stumbling backwards to the floor. An even louder laugh erupted from various corners of the room, the audience clearly enjoying this new development just as much. One person shouted to, Kick his ass! And another yelled out, Battle of the Grandpas! You son of a bitch! Alden spit some blood out onto the floor, and it reddened his lips where he had been struck. Out of my way or I'll fucking skin you! Vaslo first grabbed the handle of his father's sword, but then thought better of it, and drew out his reddened cedarwood instead. You are invited to try. That's going to be my wife there. I can do with her as pleases me. He got to his feet and drew his own sword out, one of metal instead of wood. My mother would never agree to that. I don't believe you. I don't believe any of you. Amir's cheeks were all red, and her hair stuck to her face in clumps of tears. Sounds like she rejects the officer, Alden. I don't know what the situation is, but in the least... Conduct yourself as a gentleman and step down for the evening. I think anyone can see you've had enough to drink, Vaslo said, still holding out his cedar wood. Captain Bezrin was there now with a dozen guards, some of whom had their weapons drawn, but were looking reluctantly between their captain and their marshal. He approached the raised dais and bowed to the land baron. My lord, might I have your permission to escort Lady Valmartini to her room? I am certain she must be tired, and would like to both bathe and rest. Lord Thurto sneered at that, clearly upset that someone had ruined all the fun. He looked around and saw that most of the women in the room were glaring at him angrily, then relented with a wave of his hand. Fine. Take her. Her steward, an old lady who was usually kind enough, now built up the bravery to walk over and wrap a towel around Armia. Captain Bezrin came too, and gently took her arm to lead her out. Whatever resilient rage had kept her halfway composed gave out now, and she started sobbing into his shoulder. Bezrin and Alden exchanged looks, and anyone could tell that the two men hated each other. The marshal made a step towards Amir, but Vaslo thrust his weapon out and poked his shoulder. I'm your problem, not them, he reminded him. A few other guards were there now, this group clearly loyal to Sir Alden. They drew their weapons on Bezrin's men, and the crowd finally grew quiet at the realization the evening could turn into a bloodbath. Vaslo realized the situation, and looked over his shoulder to Captain Bezrin. Tell your men to stand down. Get Amir to safety. I'll be fine. With a gesture... Bezrin's unit sheathed their weapons uncertainly. When they did, as Vaslo had hoped, a few of Alden's men put their swords back as well. Though not all of them. Are you sure? The captain asked. Go. You'll hurt for this, Nessor. Sir Alden spat venomously. Drawing weapons on your superior officer. Oh, my apologies, Marshal. I didn't recognize you. The captain sneered. Ignoring insults from Alden's men, he and a few other guards led a crying Armia slowly out of the room, 
Once they were gone, Sir Alden was free to focus Oliver's outrage on Voslo. Put your weapon down, Duelist. I didn't play fight my whole life with wooden weapons. I fought people who wanted to kill me. I've survived a few of those myself, Vaslo assured him. Alden looked over to Lord Thoto and raised his voice. This man struck me. I'm the Marshal of the Guard, dammit. I expect to see him punished. The Land Baron laughed heartily at that. It's all in good sport, I think. Besides, being punched in the mouth by Vaslo Stepman. Why, it's... why, it's... He coughed out some of his food from the laughter. It's the closest to being famous you'll ever be. Everyone else joined in the laugh, and Sir Alden was so angered by it that he was practically foaming at the mouth. Leave, Vaslo told him. Go back to your quarters and sober up. I've an idea. It was one of the well-dressed men at the Lord's table. He leaned over and whispered something into Thoto's ear that he seemed immensely pleased by. Yes, ah, splendid, a duel. You're a duelist, aren't you? Sir Alden clearly feels you've stepped on his honour. Why don't you use this chance to dazzle us with your famous swordplay, Master Stepman? Lord Thurter was beaming at the opportunity for more entertainment now that his previous fun had been ruined. Sir Alden leered excitedly at the suggestion. I'll duel him right here. No need to make a big thing of it. I'll sleep better knowing I showed everyone that Voslo Stepman is all stories and no meat. That drew plenty of applause and cheer from everyone at the party. Not to the death, though. No, let's not ruin the night like that. Thoto belched out between bites of food. What do your lot call it? Until one of you yields. Until yielded, Vaslo corrected, and put his weapon back on his belt, stepping away from Alden and turning to look over to the others. Duels are for recognized and sanctioned duelists. I am under no obligation to accept a duel here tonight. And besides, I've retired from it. He's afraid, Sir Alden shouted, and a few joined in agreement. He's old. Give him a break, someone said. It's all stories after all, another shouted. Think what you will, Vaslo said, and gave a small bow to Lord Thoto. It seems my guard duty is not needed here tonight. I will retire to my room at your estate. Lord Thoto looked put out. Not only had Vaslo ended the previous entertainment, but he refused to provide anything new. Annoyed, he waved him off. Go then, duelist. I'll call for you tomorrow. Vaslo reminded himself that he would be leaving Ashgarden very soon, so he tolerated the jeers that followed. As he was walking out of the great room, one guard leaned into him and whispered, You're a dead man. The master duelist ignored it and continued out into the network of rooms and hallways that surrounded the feast hall. Sir Alden's voice could still be heard shouting out in apparent triumph. Now how did I get here? Vaslo grunted to himself, looking up and down the different passages that surrounded him. On the way into the building, the sounds and the smells had worked to guide him where he was going. On the way out, they served the opposite function, making it hard to figure out where he was. After making a few turns and having no idea whether they were the right or wrong ones, he saw a familiar-looking woman sitting against the wall of the hallway, crying. Are you hurt? Is something wrong? Vaslo walked over and knelt close to her. You're Vaslo Stepman, she recognized. I hope so. You look familiar, but I don't believe we've met. 
She wiped the tears from her cheeks. I am Alora Conlow, the lady of this estate. I did not realize you had left, he said. She shook her head. I couldn't stomach the violence. I thought you were all going to kill each other, so I left. And what he was doing to that poor girl. She doesn't deserve that. Do you know anything about it? The marshal made it sound like they were betrothed. To my knowledge, she is not old enough to be wed. Vazlo asked. She shrugged. Who knows? Ayn did say something about it. That they were working on it with her mother. The only reason she's even here is that Ayn bought her mother's debts. But I don't think she knows that. Knowing his twisted mind, he probably intends to nullify the debt if she agrees to a marriage of his choosing. The Valmartinis are hardly the most powerful house in the Concordant, but they hold significant lands. It doesn't sound like you care for the land baron very much, Vazlo observed. She laughed a little at that. No one likes him. He buys debts and ruins your life. That's how he likes to spend his extraordinary wealth. He loves money, but what he really loves is forcing someone to owe him. To do things they... that they... They don't want to do. She started to get choked up again, and Vazlo put a hand on her shoulder. Come with me. You can stay in my room for the night. I'll sleep under the stars. No one will find you, and you'll be safe tonight. We can deal with tomorrow. Tomorrow. She was a very attractive young woman, and Vazlo guessed exactly what she was being made to do. It'll be worse for me, she said. He can make life worse for anyone. That's his power. He owns debts on my sisters as well, even though they don't live here. And he owns this very house. He could make us all homeless. I wouldn't survive. And this is surviving? Vazlo asked. She sneered at him, and looked the duelist up and down. You're a man. What could you know? Before Vazlo could say anything, a new commotion appeared down the hall. Lord Thurto and a contingent of guards came, laughing and talking, through a door and towards them. No sooner were they in the hallway than Lady Canlow stood up, straightened out her clothes, and wiped her face dry. Master Stepman, I am surprised, Lord Thurto said. They didn't stop moving. They just walked through, and the young lady joined them quietly knowing exactly what she was expected to do. Vazlo just stood there, stunned at the audacity of it. At the end of the hallway there was a large wooden door, which the guards posted up in front of. Lord Ain Thoto and Lady Canlow entered that room alone, her face a solemn canvas, and his full of lust. <laughs>